Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from a toy inventor with tens of millions of his units in the market on how to use best practices from the toy industry to make your product a big success. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Dan Klitzner to the show. Dan is the inventor of the super popular toy Bop It, along with over 300 other toy inventions that are in the market today. Bop It alone has sold more than 30 million units. Dan has been in the product game for over 25 years with over 500,000 followers on social media. Today, Dan is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can use the best practices from his success in the toy industry to build and launch a successful toy product and how those lessons can apply to success in any hardware product vertical. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Dan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you on. I must say... First and foremost, you've got like 50 of your toy products sitting behind you. For the listeners out there that can't see this, you'll have to turn into YouTube one day when we put these live because that is one of the most spectacular backgrounds of your many accomplishments. And I know that's only a drop in the bucket for all of the things that you've done over your 25-year career. Thanks. It is, for those who can't see it, this is actually my home studio. And it's also a music studio. And those are guitar hooks that my wife one day said, hey, those things you hang your guitars with, you should put your Boppets and Simons and because I do a lot of products that are three-dimensional and have done a few toy guitars. So I started to put them on the wall. And what's great about them is you can just pull things on and off. If you know how guitar hooks work, it's turned out to be a, the perfect product to hang my products up behind me. Very cool background. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's a great eye candy for me anyways on this recording here. Let's jump into it. Give the listeners a bit of a background of your 25-year history and the 300-plus products that you've had uh, licensed over the years, how did that all start and how did you get to where you are today? Well, I have always loved to draw and build stuff <laughs> since I was little. And I think that I've always connected to people through play, starting with friends and family. Just to shortcut how that became an industrial designer, loved it, and then somehow combined industrial design with games. And that sort of describes most of the products I've created. Amazing. And like even just Bop It itself has sold over 30 million units. And that's just one of many of your product lines. Yeah, I can't believe it. It's been 25 years this year and had no idea. I can't believe it's been 25 years, but also that it is a product that kind of combines my passion so perfectly that I'm just so excited that it's lasted. And that is, as I said, industrial design, games, and music. It's become something that uh, I've done a lot with since then. And it's also, I think it's taught me a lot of lessons that I then could apply to a lot of the other products that I then created after it. And that's some of the things I think would be great to, to share with everyone is what, you know, it's one thing to have a hit and have that be a great thing, but what can you learn from it? Well, I appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll jump into some of those lessons today. I'm really looking forward to that. I find it amazing that you put together three passions that you had essentially into one and created this phenomenal product and then leveraged that to continue pursuing the passion that you had, the creativity that you had. So 
Let's talk not just about how to help startups that are in the toy industry succeed, but I know that you've got a lot of lessons from what you've learned in toys that can apply to anybody listening. Now, of course, the this episode is primarily about toys, but because there's so much that anybody in a hardware product can learn from you, I'd really love to hear some of those tips and tricks right from you of how you're able to be so successful, not just with one, but with many, many, many products along the way. So where would you like to start? Because that's a big subject. (laughs) That is a big subject. One caveat for anyone who's in the toy business or any idea business is nobody has multiple successes without 10 times as many, I'll call them failures. Failure and failure to me is a great word. It is, I like to say, and maybe the only way I can survive this kind of business where you have to have a lot of ideas, you have to iterate a lot, is to not think of failures as things that are, you know, were a mistake or a wrong turn. They are a building block. If you think of every failure as one more building block to success, it it just one, it makes you be able to do it again, because otherwise you just say, I'm I'm 10 times better at being a failure than a success, and you would identify with that. <laughs> but I really have, you know, rather than just sounding nice, I really believe that it's the way that you have to learn from everything and continue to return to it and go back to it. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs probably have things that they fell in love with and tried and failed and can can relate to what did they learn that made the next one successful. So that's part of the cycle of innovating for me. But uh, there is a kind of a formula that I created for myself. You know, the overall feeling is, is maybe we're saying how to think like a successful toy inventor, even if you're not inventing toys, what are the lessons you learn from inventing toys? One of the things that's so important or the difference between toys and other products is that other products often in industrial design or product startups, they're solving a problem or a pain point. And that's the main focus. What toys are often are things that disrupt a behavior. They're things that people that entertain or that get people to connect, that get let people escape from problems they're trying to solve. So right off the bat, you know, the toy world is really kind of the opposite of the of the product startup world. So that in itself lets me know there's probably lessons in there that say, why don't you try to apply something completely opposite from your thinking? You know, that idea of disruption versus problem solving. It's a really good observation. One of the things that uh, we've actually talked about it on the show is you've got either opportunity or pain points. And those are the two ways to look at a product. But something that maybe you can derive from what you just said there is looking at your product, if it is a non-toy product, and trying to think about it as not just solving a pain point, but where's the opportunity? Where can you add add a little bit of pizzazz to this to make it interesting or entertaining or connect with others? Looking not just at the pain point, but looking at the opportunity as well, because when you get both of those, you can sell on both edges. Some edges sell more to somebody who's looking for that opportunity, looking for something interesting or something that's uh, creating new value to their life. Others are looking to solve a pain point. Some are looking for both. It's quite interesting right. how, you, how you notice that toys are very extreme on one side and industrial design products are very extreme on the other. Somewhere in the middle is probably the perfect blend. Right. That's right. I I like to say it's the things that you didn't have any idea you needed till you saw them. They weren't necessarily solving something, but once you see them, I need that. You know, that's the emotional side that I think you could put into any product. Just making sure you're not just thinking of it as a problem solving tool, that there's always something, whether it's you know, just a little bit of flair 
or something that entertains, something that makes someone feel really good about using it. I think I've learned a lot of that from making toys where that is all that it's judged on is that entertainment value. So that's definitely something I'm very interested in. And when I work on projects that aren't toy is how to bring that in. And I have this sort of a, it, it was a talk I gave at a college once where I had to sound smart. So I wanted to come up with an acronym for how do you know? And I thought, how can I tell these students who are in design, what's the secret to selling an idea or to pitching an idea or, or creating, developing an idea that's successful? How do you know when it's right? And I thought, oh, how do you know when it's right? What could right stand for? And this is basically really the thought that I, I feel you can't really sell an idea, in, at least in the toy area and probably others, until everything is R-I-T-E, right? And this is like not a formula for how to create things. It's really a formula for how to evaluate whether you're picking the right idea at the right time with the right people with the right execution. To visualize this, think of R-I-T-E as the four legs of a table. Each one of them is has got to be supporting your idea, your, your product. And you want this table to be as tall as possible because there's a lot of other people out there doing the same thing. So you want to have the tallest table with the best chance of succeeding. And those four legs I call relationship, the R, idea, timing, and execution. And you can kind of divide any product into those four categories and to ask yourself, is this leg of the table tall enough yet? Because if not, what happens if a table is has a leg that's not as tall as it needs to be, it falls over. So it's this very simple visual. And so the reason I put relationship as first is it sounds like People say, well, how do you know who to pitch something to or who to go to? Well, clearly it's, but it isn't just who, it's how you develop relationships and that you accept the idea that even meetings that are failures, you are you literally building all of this these tools that often are the future of who you sell an idea to later. So you have to think that this, this part is when you have an idea, can you, are you showing it to someone that you trust, that you know how to deal with, that you've had history with, that's often something if you try to go in cold, you'll find that it's a lot harder to sell an idea than someone that you've been developing a relationship with. So that's example of the R. There's a lot there. The research into who that relationship is, there's so much more than just, I've got this great idea. I want to show it to someone. Who's the someone? And make sure you really understand that that person, the the partner or the, the business that you're selling it to. The I for the idea or innovation, I say, is it seems like the easy part where people say, oh, I've got this great idea, but they forget that there's three other things they need. And so that, uh, that but it often when people say I have a great idea, I would like to say that almost always that leg of the table is way too short. Meaning that the idea is you think it's great because it's yours and you think you've thought of everything, but until you really pretend that it's, it's a five out of 10, what do I do to make it a 10 out of 10? You probably haven't explored enough. So I like to test that is assume any idea you ever come up with is a five out of 10 at the very best before you settle on it. And is it you know tall enough? So there's that when you see a visual, you can imagine these legs of the table are crooked and you're trying to make them fit. And so uh, the T is for timing, which is not luck because timing, you, you should be able to gauge, is this the right time for this product to come to market? 
Am I behind? Am I too early? Am I too late? What similar products were like it that might make this, you know, a me too? There's things like that that are very important in timing to really not to really gauge your timing and whether it is the exact right time. And E is the toughest one for designers <laughs> execution. So you can have 10 people say, Oh, I had that idea. I showed that idea to that same person. They didn't like it. Why that, you know, I showed it first, all these kind of things. And the point is if 10 people showed the same idea executed 10 different ways, it's really a different idea. And so it's the part that says, try a lot of executions before you say, that's my idea. It's done. Make sure that the leg of that table is, is you know, if you've got the relationships, you got the idea, you've got the timing's perfect. Don't fall short on not exploring why, why you may fail because you just didn't execute your idea in the best possible way. That is brilliant. The right acronym. I want to talk about each of those for a moment. Relationship, idea, timing, and execution. I love that you put relationship first because that's such a powerful and overlooked concept. I even think about it with our clients at the design firm. When people come in, it's amazing how few actually spend the time to get to know the team that they're working with and get to start building that rapport. Obviously, there's a transaction that's happening, but it's so much more than that. And if you can build a strong relationship, it allows such an easier flow of information and ideas and outside the box oh. thinking. And it's one of those things where is the designer on the weekend thinking about your project where they're having a shower because you've built this great relationship with them and you've got something great going on, some magic being built out, or are they thinking about somebody else's because you were very transactional? That's just one small example. Obviously, relationships yeah. can be anything. It could be with your patent attorney, with somebody you're looking to license it to, with your investors, with your other business partners, with employees, right. et cetera. There's all kinds of things there, but relationships can be so powerful. And I can tell you, it doesn't take a lot of effort. It just takes a moment to think about them as another human being. They also have some stuff that they have to do. They also have busy schedules and just building that over time and solidifying that to be something that can really work for you. So relationships so powerful. The next is the idea. I love that you mentioned that it's only one piece of the puzzle. What I like about ideas is that unlike you, most people don't come up with thousands of ideas in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And one of the most amazing things they're, is that- you, Let me just say they're, they're the lucky ones. Yeah. <laughs> they're not You made a lot of work it. for yourself. That's for sure. <laughs> the idea is the, the starting point. And, and you know, it's amazing. I don't like discounting the concept of idea. I know there's a lot that floats out there that idea is a dime a dozen, but that's not actually true. I don't believe that. I think that really good, really well thought out ideas- or once or twice, or maybe three times in a lifetime. And then of course, as you've done, you can turn it into a lifelong career. But most people really, realistically speaking, your average person is going to come up with a few. And of those, really only a couple, maybe one is really going to be something that is revolutionary, that will be a very successful product. Okay. So I do like to put some value on the idea, but also with the understanding that it is just one piece of it, which really is and powerful, especially in and products, industrial design, whether it's yeah. toys, whether it's inventions, all the same. Yeah. But as you said that it's intentionally number two, meaning the idea with no sense of who your audience is, which is the relationship you have to the end user as well. You, know, you can go on and on about relationships. It's really just saying, if you don't love people, you shouldn't be doing product development <laughs> because you've got to be enjoy the, the interactions you have and get to know people. That's the most successful people are the ones that aren't just doing it because, oh, you got to work these relationships. They actually enjoy it and they know that they'll be successful and enjoy their, their path by really finding the people they want to work with. 
and want to build a product with. So I, I could go on and on about it, but it, it's become throughout my career more and more important and more valued. And it sounds kind of cliche or whatever, but even if you fail on certain things, if you built great relationships, you, at least you, you know, you look back and you say, that was, wow, I really got to know that person on that project, even though it didn't succeed. But, but usually there's another project later that that comes around and, and is of value. Anyway, I won't, I won't interrupt more on the relationship side. You could literally do a whole hour on that. <laughs> well, and it's a small world, especially in the product development space. Yeah. It's surprisingly mm-hmm. small. I mean, people, people know each other. Like you and I were talking before the show, you know, you're such a well-known individual in the toy space. It warmed my heart to hear that you'd heard of us and Maco design a few times before. Yeah. Right? Just that sort of yeah. thing. It's, uh, it's no longer surprising, but it, every time you hear it, it, it really does catch you off guard that you're one or two degrees of separation from most of the major players in any given industry and products, no different, oh, especially as you get into niche parts of market. So it's really important to be not not just a transactional individual, but be a part of the scene. And the more successful you become, the more that you can integrate that if you are focusing on relationships. So jumping forward to timing now, I find that's amazing that you mentioned that timing isn't luck because that's so true. You can do your research. You can really try and figure out market trends. Google has tools now that allows you to see what keywords are trending, but you can just see what's out there and spend your time researching and understanding where you may or may not fit into the market. I find that so applicable to your final point, which is execution. In my industry, that all comes down to prototyping. You say try and try yeah. and try on your on your toy ideas. And it's very similar in any kind of hardware product where that means that you want to break things. All of these, I, I find amazing that you bring back to this concept of failure and using that as a stepping stone. Because one of the most important mm-hmm. things for any industrial designer, mechanical engineer, electronic engineer, product manager, you name it, is breaking prototypes. That is where you find your best value. That is really where you take a product from being okay to being great, from being somewhat workable to being robust. And if you can focus on finding failures, aggress- looking forward to failures, trying to discover failures, trying to create failures, that allows you to further yeah. and further improve the totally. quality of the product and the quality of the output. Yeah. What you just described there is a thing I sometimes call relentless listening, meaning you can't be a passive listener. You have to aggressively listen. You know, everything informs you. And on all those steps, whether it's in the relationship idea, timing, or execution, someone's going to say something at some point to you that you have to make sure everything, you're the, you're the editor of your own movie here. And you've got to be able to decide, is that aggressively listen and decide, is that a keeper or throw it out? But don't be the person that says, I know what I want. I've got my vision and no, you know, this is my vision. And I think that you see that that could work, but often even people who claim to be, this was my vision, they probably were really good at picking up little cues from other people and not being afraid, like you said, to break a prototype to, to say, this is my vision, but... Let's see how it measures up. And let's assume it can always be better. And you know, the hardest thing is probably that moment where you go, it's ready. And that's why I say I use this R-I-T-E. It's just sort of a gauge, like it's more, are all my legs equally good? And what's the weakest one? Even if they're all good, still, what's the weakest one? And I just find it a really valuable way to check yourself on if you're really thoroughly listening to everyone and looking at it, because you know, the worst thing is to move forward with something before one of those things is right. 
and it's a lot of failure. You can turn the failure into success, I think, if you really pay attention to those things. I like to kind of looping back to the timing and making sure that you're getting it right first before you go to market. Too often, folks are trying to hit some sort of arbitrary deadline. And I don't mean arbitrarily in a mean way. We want to hit this Christmas schedule or this particular trade show. Yeah. I find that's one of the most dangerous things you can do. Because you're essentially stating that we must do what we can within that time, regardless of the quality of output, which is right. almost in any situation, unless there is some timing scenario, which it's make or break, which, which I, I can understand. But if it's not an right. absolute make or break, the cost of shortcutting anything along the discovery process is probably going to far outweigh the benefit of hitting that Christmas season. In fact, there's another Christmas season happening 365 days after that one. So your business, which is a lifetime business, should not be looked at in terms of a particular month or week or whatever else. Sometimes if you hold your cards and wait for the right moment, then you preserve your resources until it is the right time. This is a long-term business. Like you said, many ideas I have, I've had for 10 years until the right moment, the right company, uh, several success stories that I've had were just knowing there was something there and the, and it was the R and the E in that formula. You know, it was a great idea. Even the timing seemed right. It just wasn't the right company in my case to license it to, uh, you know, all you need is the one company that, that needed what you had at that moment. And that has happened to me several times where including Boppet, where seven, eight, nine companies see it. It's nothing. It just doesn't hit them. You know, you're not either. It's nothing else you're doing wrong, but it's just not right for them. And so in the licensing side, it's, it's a lot about making sure you knock on the right door. So there's your research into the relationships and really understanding what someone wants. So a lot of people try to pitch ideas to someone who have already told them, I, we don't do games. You know, we only do dolls in this, in the toy side. And they still People, you'd be surprised how often people will try to push something at someone who who it's not right for. So the the right applies to just a very simple check valve. Well, that's a good tip as well. I wanted to lead into that. If you've done, let's call it the everything's right, and you you've built your your prototypes, you've got it to a point where you like the product, you believe everything else, the timing's good, you like the idea now, uh, and you want to start building those relationships on the licensing side or even through sales, through wholesalers, distributors, or even direct to retailer, online, whatever it might be, some way to actually execute on taking your product to market. What advice do you have for those folks who are ready to go and uh, and now are trying to get into the market? After many years, having built a lot of relationships, going through them, calling them, you know, making sure it's the right timing for them is probably the biggest thing is what what is your schedule? What are you guys working on? Are you working on 2000? 24 yet are you this you know what you you certainly don't want to show an idea to someone or even if it's perfectly finished if it's just going to sit there for too long um and you you know you don't want to show it to them if they're so busy finishing up their line for 2022 that they really you know want to do you the favor of oh sure let's have a meeting but you can't so you have to really understand in that case for licensing and it's the same with retail i i, I know is you know making sure you really are in the right the probably timing is the most important part of that. Once you've, once you think your product is done is be really careful that you don't push it at someone who isn't an open door at that moment. I guess this comes back to something you said earlier about really listening to everybody along your journey, 
because these people will generally give you that feedback. And if you can try and really collect and listen, then you can figure out in conjunction with them when that right timing might be. Yeah. And that said, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people listening who have a story where they had something and sometimes you do everything opposite of what we just said and it still works. You know, it's like, in a fact is you have to, you do have to know that sometimes you just go for it. It's fine. But keep in mind, if it is a rejection, why? But it's not to say, don't, don't give it a try when you have something that you can push on someone that you have a gut feel. But I do think that's, if most people who develop something are probably researching where they're going to sell it. I think a lot of what I'm focusing on currently is social media connections with direct to consumer. And that's where I'm, I started as kind of a celebration of Boppet's 25th year and a way to give back. Actually, my wife and I have started a thing called Boppet for Good, where we're, our sole purpose is to create fun products using the Boppet name or other inventions that I've done and figure out ways that they can connect people through play, which is sort of what I love to do is to connect people through play. And uh, that has been really interesting because I'm doing what you're saying, trying to figure out, okay, these are direct to consumer. I'm building a lot through TikTok, Instagram, connections of people who love Boppet or other games I've created. So what can I do that's, that's going to engage them? And when, when is the right time to sell things like that, that they might you know, engage with? And I mean, actually using the consumer in that case as the brainstormer, uh, because I've got maybe 500,000 followers who are pretty engaged. They'll tell me 30,000 ideas <laughs> if I'm not careful. You know, if I'll throw it. So I'm kind of saying I'm not going to be worried so much about proprietary ideas right here as the benefit of what I can get back from just throwing it out there and saying, what do you think? You know, what is this missing? When would you like to see this? What price should it be? All those kind of interesting questions that often were someone else's decision, I'm getting those directly now. And I find it fascinating, you know, that you can you can sort of launch something direct to the consumer themselves if you can engage them. That's great. Really helpful. And a lot of this comes back to relationships. And I really appreciate how you mentioned that as well to the end customers, because that is another relationship that everybody should be thinking about. Who are your even prospective end customers? your online community, your followers, those are easy people to build relationships with because they're directly engaged with you on these social media platforms. So I love how you're actually taking that one step further and you're almost, let's say, crowdsourcing with your followers to help you figure out what are the ideas or what are the models that's going to be most beneficial to them down the road. And that is something that you know, keeps coming back to this relationship concept, but you have to think about all these different types of relationships with your business. And then really think about it, even just on a weekly basis, what are you doing this week to help strengthen those relationships? You know, anything you do now will pay dividends down the road. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, the social media side. Again, it's for, I didn't even have barely answered email a year ago ago i mean I, I was accused of never answering email meaning that i had no uh i had very little time i thought to, oh, i'm, I'm gonna let other people do that i just like to make stuff and do the making part and then to actually jump in and say i'm gonna start uh, it's called bop it inventor so, you know a handle for coming out there is yeah i invented bop it and many other products and i'm gonna share tips and invention stories and just sort of see what happens. I was so, like you said, surprised by how opposite it was for me as someone who wasn't that engaged with social media of this kind of explosion of engagement ideas uh, from all sorts of people that really love knowing who's, cre who's really behind the creation of these 
some of these games or product ideas and the authenticity of that person reaching out and saying, you know, what do you think? How would you make this better? And I've had a few games that failed that I've put up to say, why do you think this flopped? Those are by far the most popular posts. Like I'm so, you, you'll find the creativity and just people and, and how intelligent they are. I think I had 3 million views, about 100,000 responses by putting up an old game that flopped that I really wanted to know, why do you think it's flopped? I want to go and try and relaunch it. And I'm actually going to go back with a lot of this advice and re and repitch it with some of these ideas. And, wow. uh, you know, people know it's not, I think uh, sometimes someone will say, oh, do I get a piece of that? Or, you know, I say, no, look, this is a public place. Anyone can take these ideas. And I try to make that clear. If I'm going to go out there and do this, yep, anyone can look at these ideas publicly and do whatever they want with them. I kind of think I'm the one who's probably going to do it because I have you know the, the pathway to there. But I kind of like that idea as well, that it puts the emphasis on the doers, that if you want to throw ideas out there, it's what you do with them that really is is what counts. And so I kind of like it as a model. And the chance that something could go viral is so much higher than the chance that someone will rip you off, in my opinion. So I kind of like, that's my future is to go out and start taking some of these ideas and throwing them out there and seeing which one really pops. So the one product that I am trying to launch on my own is this product called the Unibop. It's basically uh, a bop it like the, if you can see it, you can hear it. It looks like the easy button. In, in fact, or the no button that people may know, but all it is is a button that says bop it on the front. And this is a single button interface that was meant to go on the front of my book that I'm, I'm writing called Take This Book and Bop It, which is how to think like a toy inventor. And this bop it on the front, when you hit the front cover. Bop it. Yeah. <laughs> Did anyone see you doing that? Right. It says. You bop it and it says one of the funny sayings. So the idea is to create a product that I start on social media by engaging people. I've been sharing this the whole time as I've been creating it. I've been getting people's ideas. There's all these things that it says. The deeper you go, the more it starts saying sillier things. What I find fascinating about this is just the idea of starting a product, riffing. It started out on a book. Someone said something and that through social media, it kind of became, it's becoming real. And i plan to then distribute it, you know, or work through that as the audience, sort of like a Kickstarter through that media. But uh, I just thought I'd share that as, you know, that's basically my my next project is how to get people to hit the silly button. Very cool. Well, look, Dan, much appreciated for having you on the show. And uh, thanks again for all your words of wisdom. You're welcome, Kevin. I really enjoyed it. And it's really a privilege to be here. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end -end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com that's m-a-k-o design.com for a free consultation from one of maco designs for design studios from coast to coast thanks for listening and see you next time